Hi everyone again. My name is Jason. I am from Grace Point. Uh, very nice to meet all of you. I might be new to this church, but I'm certainly no stranger to one of your regulars. I've known David for the past two years. Uh, David is the convener of the Metro Committee, uh, which is the training arm of the Presbyterian Church. And David is very kind. David is very helpful. Uh, he is always thinking hard about how to best raise the next generation of gospel workers. And so my church and I uh, are definitely very thankful for him. We have benefited from his ministry. I'm also thankful uh, to be invited to preach here today. What a privilege it is for me to bring you God's Word. But before we begin, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can worship you together this Lord's Day. Lord God, as we hear from your Word today, may we hear the truth clearly from your Word. May we be convicted of the weight of our sin, and may our hearts be warmed by the comfort that your gospel brings. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten something new so that you drop the old thing, completely forgetting about it? I certainly have experienced something like that. For the longest time, our home used to only have fans. And during summer, we put the fans on full blast. And yet, because it was still so stinking hot, we would still be sweating. But everything changed when we installed aircon. That was a game changer. The fan was good, but there are no aircon. Compared to the old one, the new one was just too good. And in our passage today, we encounter something similar as well. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is introducing a new theme. Paul brings in the old covenant and the new covenant. The word covenant may not be familiar to all of us today, but covenants were common in history and certainly in the Bible. A covenant is basically a contract, it's a binding agreement, it's a promise between two parties. For example, marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. And in the Bible, we see God instituting covenants with us. But while both the old and the new covenants are instituted by God himself, in our passage today, we will see some very big differences between these two covenants. We will see why the ministry of the new covenant is much greater than the old. As you see on the outline, today's sermon will have three points. Firstly, the ministry of the new covenant. Secondly, the deadness of the old covenant. And lastly, the exceeding glory of the new covenant. The ministry of the new covenant, the deadness of the old covenant, and the exceeding glory of the new covenant. And I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of this truth, that you are alive because of the Holy Spirit. We're now at point one, the ministry of the new covenant. Let's begin with a bit of context. Uh, throughout 2 Corinthians so far, Paul has been defending his apostleship. Uh, there have been some false teachers who have come to the Corinthian church. They're trying to undermine Paul as an apostle. And Paul finishes chapter 2, the previous chapter, with a little subtle jab at these false teachers. We see that in chapter 2, verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit, 
On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And it is with this in mind we come to today's passage. Look with me to verse 1. Verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? We see here that Paul is taking jabs at his opponents again. Well, unlike them, I don't minister God's word for money. Unlike them, I don't need a letter of recommendation to you. You know me, guys. You know that I'm sincere. You know that I'm sent from God. You see, Paul has such a close relationship with the Corinthian church. It was Paul who first converted them to Christ. It was Paul who planted the church in the first place. And so Paul goes on to say, look with me to verse 2. Do we need letters of recommendation? Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. We'll pause right here. And I just can't help but notice how intimate the language is here. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. We don't need any more formal proof. You are known and read by everyone. Our relationship is clear as day. Paul has such a close relationship with the Corinthian church. He should be able to point to them and immediately everyone should know, ah, oh, yes, that is the church Paul planted. Now, what makes the Corinthians unique? Just like you can tell by the face of a child who their parents may be, you can tell by the faith of the Corinthians who planted their church. You can tell by the faith that Paul planted their church. Look with me to verse 3 again. Verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Let me say that again. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. After Paul gives some outward evidence where they are known and read by everyone, Paul now gives some inward evidence. This letter, this faith of the Corinthians is written within them. Not only will Paul just point towards how everyone knows, Paul is even now claiming that you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. It is the fact that the Corinthians have true faith, the fact that they have been converted by Paul's ministry, it shows that Paul's ministry is legitimate. Since the Corinthians have true faith, Paul's ministry is legitimate because only genuine gospel ministry done by a genuine minister of the gospel can bring about true conversions. Now, Paul is reinforcing that he is not just saying this to be proud. No, Paul is always, always giving all the glory to God. Look with me to the following verses, verse 4 to 6, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, 
Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Paul is absolutely clear that his confidence and his competence comes from God. Paul is not self-sufficient. Paul didn't convert the Corinthians by his own ministry. Paul didn't become an evangelist by his own words. All the persuasion of his preaching, all the power of his evangelism, all the fruit of his ministry, all of that comes from God and God alone. All of Paul's ministry comes from God. And at this point, I want to take a slight detour and speak to two groups of people. The first group of people are people who are serving at this church, Bible study leaders, ministry leaders of the church. And the question I want to ask is, when you serve, do you give glory to God? Because as we think about our ministry, we can so easily fall into the trap of pride and self-glory. If you are proud of yourself, may I exhort you to examine your own hearts. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Any fruit of your ministry comes from God. Indeed, even the fruit of your own life comes from God. How can you boast? Consider your own ministry, whether you give glory to God. And the second group are Christians. The question I want to ask is, if someone were to point out the work of the Spirit in your life, what would that be? If someone were to point out in your life the work of the Spirit, what would that be? If you are a new Christian, you might have doubts. You may feel like you haven't changed much and you're still just living out your old life. If you are a busy worker, you might feel like the bulk of your time is just given up to what is mundane and you haven't grown much as a Christian. And if that's you, may I encourage you that if you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And God is growing you every day more and more like Jesus. Even if you can only see small steps of faith, no matter how small it is, be assured that it is the work of the Spirit in your life. Be assured that God is working in you. Because if you have been converted by genuine, Spirit-empowered, New Covenant ministry, like the Corinthian church, you show that you are a letter from Christ. A genuine Christian is not someone who merely professes to be a Christian. A genuine Christian is someone who lives like one, who speaks like one, who loves like one. By the way that you live, people can tell right away, ah, he is a Christian. By the way you love others, people can tell right away, ah, he is a Christian. Can you say the same about your life? Can you see small steps of faith in your life? May we all spend some serious time in reflection. We've now finished our little detour. Let us keep going. Um, we are going to get to the heart of the covenants. We're now at point two, 
the deadness of the old covenant. Let's start with some context again. What is the old covenant? Well, if you read the passage, you can actually see a few hints in there already. At the end of verse 3, Paul says that the Corinthians are a letter from Christ. And hear this, written not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Tablets of stone. Or verse 7, the ministry that brought death engraved in letters on stone. Now, why is stone repeated? In the Old Testament, after God leads all the Israelites out of Egypt, they were led to Mount Sinai. God gives his law to Israel, the Ten Commandments, and you know what? His law was engraved on two stone tablets. In Exodus 34, the Lord commands Moses to chisel out two new stone tablets because the first set of stone tablets were broken. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. This was the old covenant that was given to Israel. Two stone tablets. Now, back in our passage, Paul picks up on this fact. And Paul also picks up on the fact that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. So make no mistake, even though they were two stone tablets, the old covenant was glorious. The law was glorious. But then in our passage, Paul writes such damning words, such damning words. Why does Paul describe the old covenant so negatively? And we see that he does this in at least three ways. Look with me again at our passage, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. Or come down with me to verse 7. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, or again, verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation, the letter kills, the ministry that brought death and brought condemnation. Wow. These are not pleasant words at all. Why does Paul describe the old covenant so negatively? Well, you see, the law was given to Israel so that they will obey God. Israel is to love the Lord, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands. With the commands of the law comes the blessings that follow obedience. If Israel obeys the law, the Lord will bless them in the promised land. But along with those blessings, there are also curses. The Lord says to Israel, But if your heart turns away and you are disobedient, and if you are drawn away to worship other gods, you will certainly be destroyed. Obedience or disobedience, blessings and curses. Now, we know that instead of choosing life, they chose death. They were disobedient. 
In fact, they couldn't choose life. They couldn't choose life. And you know what? Just like them, we also can't choose life. We can't choose life. Why can't we? Well, you see, because of the fall, we have been plagued with this condition called sin. Sin has so corrupted our hearts, we can't perfectly obey God's law. We can't perfectly obey God's law because at the core, our cold, dead hearts are hardened. Have you ever thought about this? Every day, every single day, we fail to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every day. I remember a few, days, a few years ago during Bible study, the leader brought out a stone apple as an illustration. His point was that our hearts are so dead and cold, we need regeneration of the heart. The illustration stuck out to me so much back then. And imagine this stone apple with me, right? There's nothing special about the apple. You can't eat the stone apple. You can try, but maybe your teeth will break, your dentist will hate you. And the reason why he brought out this apple is to illustrate that the apple is like our stone-cold hearts. You can spin it, you can shake it, but nothing you do to it can turn it into a real apple. And just like that, we can't turn our stone-cold hearts into a living heart. Our hearts are dead. Sin has so corrupted our hearts, we can't perfectly obey God's law. Now, listen carefully. The reason why the law of God is described to be dead is not because the law was dead. No, remember how Paul said the ministry was glorious and the law is glorious? But the reason why the law of God is described to be dead is because our own hearts were dead. The reason why the law of God is dead is because our own hearts are dead. And let's pause here for a minute. We have such a grim picture of our hearts in the Bible. It's so grim, it's so hopeless. But if we are being honest with ourselves, we don't think we're like that. We don't really think we're like that. We don't think our hearts are cold and dead. And you know, that's actually the greatest indictment on the deadness of our hearts. The human heart is so corrupt, we all think that there is something inherently good in us. We all think that, at least I don't break the law or the Ten Commandments. I, I follow them. I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't lie. That's what our corrupt hearts think. And the Bible's picture of our reality is not like that at all. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all else. Or Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of humanity had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart is only evil all the time. That's the Bible's picture of our hearts. 
Imagine with me, right? Imagine a man who is a complete wreck. He is a drunkard. He is covered with filth. And he has no idea how ruined his life has become. And this wretched man is lying on the ground on some dimly lit room. Imagine him on the ground. And you put a mirror in front of him. You show him a mirror. And he only sees himself kind of dimly in this room. And what's he going to think of himself? He thinks, I look a bit tired today. I know I'm not perfect, but hey, I'm better than some other people. That's the picture of a man who is dead in sin. His heart is like that stone apple, cold and lifeless. And even if he is a complete wreck, he still has no idea how ruined his life has become. And if you are here today and you are not yet a believer, a follower of Jesus, then hear me clearly. That is the picture of your heart. Yes, I know, you are not as bad as the man down the road. You are not in jail, perhaps. But because of sin in your heart, you are just as wretched as that wreck who is lying on the ground, hopeless, covered with filth. And perhaps before today, you don't even know that you are that bad. And perhaps until this very moment, you still think that you are not that bad. But let me say this to you. You are that man. The picture of your heart is really, really grim. But let me say this. That is not the whole picture. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. By the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that wretched man can see the light too. And we have now come to the point three, the last point, the exceeding glory of the new covenant. Back in our chapter, chapter three, we'll see again how Paul describes the new covenant. And we saw hints of this already. Come with me to verse three. Verse three. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Wow, we see these in a new light, don't we? What a contrast. These are all language of life and vibrancy. It's so different to the stone-cold hearts we've been seeing, right? A look at verse 6, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Life. Again, the new covenant is of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives life. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? It's not that the old covenant wasn't glorious. We talked about this. It is just that the new covenant is that much more glorious. Think of the last time you were outdoors in the broad daylight and you take out your phone because you want to check something. And then you realize 
that screen is pitch black. You can't see anything. Oh, I thought my phone was on. Why is my screen pitch black? And then you realize the problem is not with your phone. The problem is with the broad daylight. The sun is shining so brightly, you have to turn up your phone to max brightness in order to see anything at all. And in the same way, the old covenant was bright and glorious, but the new covenant was that much brighter. Paul has such a high view of the old covenant, but the problem is the glory of the new covenant is that much more glorious. Fans are great, but aircon is greater, right? <laughs> and if you pay close attention to the final verses of the passage, you will see how excited Paul is. In verses 7 to 11, Paul says this three times. How much more? Much more, much more. That's what Paul wants you to see as well. Much more glorious is the new covenant. But why exactly is that case? We have to look back at the Old Testament. If you are a careful student of the Old Testament, you may know about Ezekiel 36. Why don't you turn there with me, if you have your Bibles. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36, and we'll start from verse 24. It's a great passage that prophesies about the greater new covenant that will be fulfilled in Jesus. Ezekiel 36, verse 24 onwards. Let me read that for us. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Listen closely. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Wow, there's so much to digest here. But the key verses that Paul picks up on are verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, God promises to give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. That means that God will first surgically remove that heart of stone that we were talking about and replace it with a heart of flesh. And this heart of flesh is living. It is not a stone-cold heart anymore. It's a beating heart. But more than that, the Holy Spirit is placed within you. Verse 27, God promises, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Not only is your heart beating, your heart is now capable of loving God, obeying God, and following God. It's God's Spirit living in you, moving you to love Him and to obey Him. It wasn't possible before with your cold, dead heart. It is now possible. 
And this is such good news. This is what's so glorious about the new covenant. And it's not because of your obedience that you are saved. No, your obedience doesn't save you. Notice verse 25, it's because the Lord first cleanses you. The Lord sprinkles clean water on you to cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. This is all God's grace. It is God who first cleanses you. It is God who first replaces your heart. It is God who puts his spirit within you to move you to obey. This new covenant, this process of regeneration is completely the work of God and God alone. It is all God's grace. And by the Spirit living in you, you are now alive. Remember that wretched man lying on the ground? Remember him? Last time we held a mirror to his face and he says, hey, I'm not that bad. But that was when he was in a dimly lit room. He couldn't see clearly. By the ministry of the new covenant, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It's like when you hold that mirror to his face and then the light is turned on. Now he can see everything. The man lying on the ground, he is horrified. Oh no, is that me? I'm so filthy. What a wretched man I am. I could have never imagined that I was such a wretched man. Have mercy on me, O oh God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. You might have been to church your whole life. You might have heard the Lord preached a thousand times. And yet, without a new heart, without the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, you are not born again. You are still like that wretched man. And you know what? The good news is that you don't remain blind to your condition. You don't just keep on living the way you were living. The good news is found in the new covenant. The good news is that if you trust in Jesus, you have a new heart. If you trust in Jesus, God has put his spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see how wretched and how absolutely in need of a saviour you are. But we don't stop at despair. By God's grace, the Spirit then illuminates how great of a Savior we have in Christ. He was condemned and put to death in your place. Jesus died so that you can be alive. Now, this is my question. Is your heart beating? No, I'm not asking about your physical heart. I'm asking about your new heart. Is your heart beating? If you trust in Christ, you have a new heart. Or will you still be like that wretched man thinking, I'm not that bad. I don't need anyone to save me. Or will you see the true condition of your heart and will you look to Christ, looking away from yourself and look to Christ, trusting in his obedience for your rebellion, trusting in his death for your life. You are alive because of the Holy Spirit. 
As we close today, I want to direct us to a few final application questions. By the grace of God, you know that your heart is beating now. You know that you are alive because the Spirit lives in you. But let me ask you this question. In what ways do you slip back into the ministry of the old covenant? And what I mean is this. In what ways do you subtly obey the law out of a sense of duty? If you live in such a way, or if your ministry is like this, where you emphasize obedience and following a set pattern of living, but then you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, isn't that old covenant ministry? Let's think about five categories, shall we? Ask yourself, why do you pray and read the Bible? Is it really out of a heartfelt communion with God? Or do you just want to tick the box? You've done your daily devotion. Or why do you put sin to death? Is it really out of a joyful obedience to God? Or do you just want to tick off the good Christian box, get rid of that crushing sense of guilt and shame, and look like a godly person in front of others? Why do you come to church, thirdly? Is it really out of a fervent worship of God with God's people? Or is it out of habit? Be served, but not to serve. Fourthly, why do you give? Is it really coming out of a heart of ever-increasing gospel generosity? Or do you just want to, again, tick off the box? I'm just doing the bare minimum of what God requires of me. And lastly, why do you evangelize to your family and friends? Does your heart yearn for their salvation, cry out for God's mercy? Or do you just want to tick off that good Christian box? I'm just doing this so that I can add more names to the people I converted, Tally. God forbid. If you have answered all those questions positively, I praise God for his work in your life. But if you're like me, and you can feel your sinful heart aching to live by duty and works, then you are not alone. Or you may be really struggling to live out your faith. You really don't feel like any of these things. Now, don't hear me say that if you don't feel like obeying, then you can just not obey. That's not what I'm saying. But let me encourage you that even if it is hard, by the Holy Spirit, to obey by grace. Obey by grace. Because obedience in the new covenant is now all by grace. Just as God gives you a new heart because of his grace, so you now obey him by grace. Every desire and inclination to do good, to obey God, to submit to God's law, that is now by grace. And God is working in you by the Holy Spirit. We don't do these things out of duty or requirement. But we obey him willingly and joyfully. And we give all the glory to God. But even if you don't feel like obeying God, may we take small steps of faith by grace. You can be assured that God is working in you by his Spirit.
Church, let the grace of God be the driving force behind why you live. Because by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit living in you, you are alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Our hearts were dead. There was nothing we could do that could make it alive again. And yet because of your mercy and grace, you have made us alive by the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord our God, sometimes we still want to live the old way. We still want to live by our works. We pray that you will humble our hearts before you, God, and make us the lowest of the lowly. We thank you that we are now alive by your grace, so help us live by grace. Help us to take little steps of faith and help us to see your spirit at work in all our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.